Welcome to the Core Podcast, brought to you by Core to Cloud. We talk about all things cybersecurity, about the latest technologies, the insights, the learnings, and also a little bit about our culture in this ever-evolving environment. I'm Kelly, and I head up the marketing department. And I'm Phil from the technical team, and we're going to take you through all our technology in a really interesting way. Phil talks technical, why I keep it lighthearted and remove all the jargon. We also have a selection of guest speakers, including a few people popping in from the Quarter Cloud team. So let's dive in. Welcome, Frank. It's nice to do a podcast in person. Absolutely. I've done them all virtually so far for a very long time, actually. Most people come in virtually. So thank you very much for coming. No thank worries. you from the castle. As you know, um, I reached out to anyone that wanted to talk about mental health, uh, mental health in the tech industry, mental health in men. Um, but also we're trying to run this campaign to tackle the impact of burnout and 65% of people in the cybersecurity industry looking to leave. Um, and a big problem with that is that we don't have enough people joining it in the first place. So hopefully this campaign will help and um, give resources and some stories that people can relate to. Um, or if people are working late at night or the SOC team, they've got something to listen to, hopefully. Yeah. Frank, sure. could you speak to the audience a little bit about yourself and your background and why, when I mentioned this topic, it resonated with you? Sure, absolutely. So uh, my name is Frank Plummer. Um, I am a cyber and technical information security officer uh, at a digital healthcare company. And the company uh, specialises in the mental health space. Uh, the work that we do is building software and solutions that um, support the treatment of mental health conditions depression, anxiety, mm -hmm. PTSD, things like that, in, uh, in patients. So therapists and um, clinicians, we yeah. use our platform to um, book appointments, to facilitate um, care, to facilitate treatment of these conditions with their patients. And I'm really fortunate to work at this organisation because I myself have gone through um, some mental health uh, challenges in mm -hmm. the past. And um, when I saw your post, I thought, well... Um, doesn't hurt to put my hand up and say no. I, I'm 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 here if you if you want to chat. And given that you were only an hour away <laughs> by car, I, I thought it'd be daft not to offer. So um, here I am. Uh, hopefully, I've got a story to tell that um, will be useful to your yes, to your listeners definitely. and um, and folks will, will will get something out. So I know you are happy to discuss. So if we could rewind to as far back as you can kind of remember sure. maybe the mental we talked about this in a previous um podcast it's actually the awareness piece yeah of that you've got um any sort of mental health or anything that you need support with is that that awareness piece that you've needed i realized with my postnatal depression mm -hmm. um i didn't think i had postnatal. i didn't even know yeah. i was on spirals yeah. i was like why is people getting angry with me if i don't want to get dressed for five days that's my I got quite angry with it. Yeah. Um, and then I said, when we did the, I was like, oh, it was that awareness thing. Once I knew what it was, I could recognize my spiral piece. So where was there a pre-awareness piece like me or was there a, did you know quite early on? How was it for you? I guess I didn't know early on and it wasn't really until university that I started to feel that something was wrong. Um, I started university and I was getting quite bad panic attacks. Okay. Um, my degree was in a technical subject, and mm. that's what I enjoyed. Yeah. So it wasn't the subject matter, um, and I couldn't put my finger on it. I would, 
I'd basically shut down in the middle of a, a middle of a university day. I would um, be fine one minute, come out of a lecture hall, go into a computer lab, and I could feel my body kind of shrinking. Um, I could feel my ability to reason, my ability to see clearly, and even sometimes my ability to hear and see. Wow. Just kind of disappear. Right. Um, and I, I, I didn't know why that was. I, I thought that it was the adjustment to university. I thought with all of these things going on, all of these new experiences, you know, being a young person, learning all this stuff and meeting all these people. Because it's a big shift, isn't it? Yeah, It's moving house. It's new people. Yeah. I don't know what was you for you, but like I moved into a flat, new people. Yeah. I struggled even with how people lived in it was very different to how yes. i lived yeah exactly um, there was expectations of drinking socializing it's a big shift it is. so and did you find that this these things were happening in in the first year was it the, soon these started? were happening in the first year right. yeah yeah and i had i've got a very vivid memory of being in quite a quiet computer lab mm. and um, i'm a person that quite likes peace and quiet yeah. so it should be my kind of environment and i remember for whatever reason i was feeling very much fight or flight um, okay. in, in my brain, I, all I wanted to do was um, kind of shrink away, and it was—it's very hard to explain in, in words. Yeah. Um, and that was the kind of first real memory that I've got of thinking something's not quite right here. Something's not. Something's not okay. This isn't a normal response to seemingly nothing. Mm. So I went through university, and and I have to say that um, if it wasn't for somebody that's very special to me somebody that um i've known for a long time if it wasn't for her i probably wouldn't have got through university because she helped me um manage those events she helped me calm down she helped me um get out of any situations that 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 could have contributed to those panic attacks yeah. and move forward um so was I she left. at uni with you she was she was on my course oh so that she, was good so you had that support I, system there. yes i was okay. very very fortunate um and um over a decade on, I now live with her, and she's my she's my partner. So I, I was hoping there was a happy ending to that. Like very, when you missed it, I was like, "Very happy did ending." She yeah, she did. Okay. Um, and I, I'm forever grateful for that. But after university, um, I got my first full time role in industry, mm. and by that time, so at this point, she you just thought it was the stress of uni. Yes, exactly. And yeah. had did she have previous experience with mental health, or she just really cared about you? She did. Yes. Okay. Um, she did. And um, yeah, throughout university, you know, we we started dating and that sort of thing. And mm. um, yeah, she she supported me, hopefully for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she she obviously had insights that I didn't at that time. Yeah, because I would say this is the awareness piece of like if you I didn't really know much about yeah postnatal depression or that you could feel those things because everyone tells you you have a baby and you should be yeah. really happy. Most people tell you you should go to university and it's the time of your life. So when it's not, you're a bit like. Why am I not having the time of my life? Well, exactly. Yeah. You know, extremely stressful for me um, in in these really intense situations yeah. that, that, again, I didn't really have a reason for it. It wasn't yeah. like it was exam pressure. It wasn't like it was coursework pressure. I enjoyed the course. I enjoyed the people that I spent time with. So I leave university and I get my first full-time role in industry. And I find that the panic attacks actually largely have gone, mm -hmm. which is interesting in itself. But I find what they've been replaced with now, and looking back on it, I can speak about See, it, but yeah, at, yeah, at the yeah, time, time it was difficult. Um They've been replaced with this kind of overwhelming feeling of anxiety. And I feel myself being anxious and, and worrying and fretting and overthinking mm. mundane things. Like things that most people would think, oh, I didn't lock the door. Well, that's a nuisance. Or I didn't lock the car. Or I left the fridge door open. I Oh, I do. I, I, I take that in a lot. Like you should see. So my husband... Um, on the ring doorbell, uh -huh. he always mocks. He all texts me to see how many times I went back to check it. Okay, that's interesting. 
because I never thought it was a thing. Right. I assumed everyone did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never talked to him about it because okay. I thought everyone did it. Yeah. And we got the ring doorbell. And yeah. he obviously was picking the motion sensor yeah. of every time I was going back. And I remember him going, "You do you know you checked the front door like five or six times? I was like, did I? He was like, yeah, you locked it. Then you got in your car. Then you checked it. Then you pulled it down. Then you put the kids in. Then you checked it and you pulled it down. Yeah. Then you reversed out the drive and you stopped. You ran out the car and checked it down. Then you yeah. left and reversed and came back. And he's like, when did you not think you'd locked it? And I was like, I don't know. But I've never realized these things were exactly not like weren't normal. Yeah. I thought everyone did it. Yeah. Um, and my mum does it. So yeah. that was a habit. Like yeah. my mum always did it, so I assumed everyone's did it. Well, I assumed everyone did it too. Yeah. And and I, I would do these things so many times. Um and I would internalize it and overthink it mm-hmm. and it would build up and up and up and it would get to the point where my health took a significant turn because of it. Because I was overthinking these situations that had no basis in reality. Mm. At the time I was commuting uh, about an hour each way to work and back. And I at the time, I had a, a really small motorbike. I had a really small little 125cc motorbike, and it could go no more than about 50 or 60 miles an hour. Yeah. There was no chance I was breaking the speed limit on this thing. <laughs> but I went past places on the road where I thought I saw a speed camera. Oh, you're so like me. This is so weird. Uh, sorry. And, no, this and, is like... And I would come back to that place later that day. To check that whether you thought you'd have broken it or that you were exactly, over it. Exactly, yes. And I would, this, this would go on and on and on, and, um, and my other half would see me in the evenings and I'd be frustrated yeah. and I'd be anxious and I'd be checking on my phone or Google Maps and is there a speed camera? Yeah. A, I didn't break the speed limit because the, the bike wouldn't have been able to anyway. B, there was no speed camera there anyway. Yeah. And C, even if there was, what good would it have been to check it afterwards? My brain was you, trying to prepare Because you broke it, but I, I'm exactly the same. I'd yeah. anal- I would go and analyse, check the road. Yeah. Oh, I never realised this was a thing. I just thought this was just what people did. Well, this is very interesting for me because there's a lot of things I do, like okay. still do to okay. this day. And speed speed things, like getting into trouble yeah. or breaking the law mm-hmm. or doing things that you shouldn't really do yeah. are all things that I don't like. Makes makes my internal Kelly very like uncomfortable. You sound a lot like me. Yeah, um, okay. I went to the GP about this. Oh, I went to the GP and, okay. I, and I explained... Um, what it was that was going on and why I think it wasn't okay. And I had a chat with the GP and she was very good. And she said that it sounds like, and I was diagnosed with a condition called generalized anxiety disorder or GAD. Okay. Now, generalized anxiety disorder is that, um, that it's a condition where you will overthink and over worry and over analyze and grow anxious about normal situations. Mm. I say normal inverted commas because, you know, perception is different for everybody. But it's a recognised condition. And once I understood that, I committed it to memory. I didn't do much with it. Okay. And for the next couple of years of my career... So you didn't feel like a, oh, light switch? No, not at that point. Oh, okay. So I was just out of university. I I was starting my career. um, I'd moved out, all these different things going on. I had this piece of information, which was great. But for whatever reason, I, I didn't do anything with it. And I think... For quite a lot of people, that happens. I, I know people that have gone to the doctors and, and they have a talk about their mental health, they have a talk about what's bothering them and they get a piece of information but they don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to progress with it or what to do next. And that I was in that space. I didn't mm. know what to do with it. And as I as my career progressed and as I was taking on more responsibility and doing more things and learning more things and getting to know more people, I find more things to worry about and more things to stress about yeah. and grow anxious about. Yeah. And it led to burnout. And it led to me really suffering a lot 
because I had projects that I was passionate about. I had a, a cause and a mission that I wanted to um, make sure that I met mm-hmm. and, I, and I pushed forward and, and helped to succeed. And there were these things that there were these uncontrollable worries that I had that I couldn't shake. Um, and by this point, a couple of years had moved on and, and life had moved on. And that diagnosis of, of GAD, of GHJD, had, um, had passed. And I knew that I had it. Again, I didn't know what to do with it. And it, it, it led to some quite difficult times. Um, it led to me taking time off work. It led to me underperforming in my job. It led to me being um, very reserved, very difficult in my personal life because my head was just trying to over-process all yeah. these things. Um, However, now I've I've come to realise what this is. I've learned much more about it. Mm. I've learned more about how my brain works. I know that I'm prone to do this. I can catch it before it snowballs and it gets too much. There's all of these mechanisms and, and, and ways of uh, managing it now that I'm able to use that way back when at university, I just had no idea about any of it. It's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say how I manage yeah, okay. I'll see wherever yours is. Okay. So I read the book called The Chimp Paradox. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I was like, oh, I've got that chimp. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, mine's a dragon. Okay. Because she can be really fiery. Think of uh, how to train a dragon, like really fiery yeah. or your best mate. Sometimes yeah. she's my superpower because my control and my worrying about the mundane stuff, I think has been my superpower because for when it comes to a brand... I care about every tiny detail, like how does someone feel? So it can be my superpower, but for personal things or Excel spreadsheets or stuff that doesn't need that detail, she can be a force and can be quite painful. So that's how I've, Mm -hmm. I haven't gone to a GP to diagnose anything. I just, when I got into my late twenties and my thirties and obviously being with my husband, there were like the things and everything that happened after my daughter there were things and there were triggers. So I read a lot, I, a lot of self. Um, and I kind of, yeah, I have a charm on my bracelet for a dragon. So I'll spin it if I feel like she's okay. out of yeah. control. Yeah. So that's how I've dealt with it. And I've not gone on any medication or yeah. seen any doctors or even had counseling or anything or even known that that was an actual diagnosis. Yeah. How did you then? So you obviously, you know, took the diagnosis, was like, okay, cool. I'll, I'll pick that up when I need to. Yeah. I guess, what was your symptoms of burnout? And then what was that trigger? And then how how, how are you so protecting yourself? Symptoms of burnout. So I think the first thing that I really ran into was just um, feeling very exhausted. I felt mm-hmm. I felt very overwhelmed, very exhausted with what was going on, and that happened. That was that wasn't like a big bang event. That, that built up over several several months, several years. Okay. Um, and I I think in hindsight it was probably because my brain was trying to process so much and it was trying to run a hundred miles an hour as well as trying to perform at my job and trying to meet all of these different requirements for the for the role that I was performing at the time. But at the same time, it was overanalyzing and, and overthinking everything in between. Over time, it just it just fizzled itself out. And I, I, I hit this wall and I, I remember um, the first time that I really understand and I really remember me being burnt out was I was, I was in an office. And I had to step outside and it was a four or five o'clock in the afternoon. I had to step outside and I just had to, I just stood outside and looked out into the distance for about 15, 20 minutes until mm-hmm. someone came out and spoke to me and said, you, you're all right. Mm-hmm. And I said, no. <laughs> I don't think I am really, mm. um, and the, the 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 tsunami of emotions and um, thoughts going on in my head was unreal. 
And it took me a long time to then come back from that until I could go back inside and, and, and drive home. And it, I, I, I've caught myself since then starting to get to that point again. Mm. And I think just by being aware and understanding what it feels like to be on that path, yeah. to be that like kind of like that, to feel that snowball building in size, mm-hmm. um, that in itself, that awareness mm-hmm. helps me flag it in my head and go, okay, I'm heading towards the edge of this cliff. So you don't. I, I, just by understanding that, I, I understand that I need to do certain things to bring it back. Yeah. Um, and, and that kind of realisation, that, that thought process really helps me. Because even now I still find myself going off in that direction. I shouldn't go off in that direction. Um, because if, if I let my brain overthink, overanalyze and, and, and grow overly anxious like that, yeah. it's not going to end well. What are your, so you're at the cliff, mm-hmm. you've got a red flag. Mm. What are your, get yourself back. What do you do? Is it go for a walk? Is it exercise? Is it Netflix and chill? What switches your brain off? So for me, it's it's definitely going out for a walk. <laughs> Everyone's saying this. It's, it's walking, it's getting outside. It's something about it. And I think, I think COVID, um, because it meant we had to rethink what we do for with our spare mm. time, I think, having that opportunity to think, oh, I can't go to the cinema. I, I, I can't go out to see friends. I, I can't do all these things, but I can go out to walk. It reminded me of how powerful walking is for yeah. me and, um, and, yeah. and, and how useful it is to just have that headspace. Because the moment that I start moving around outside and I'm not, I'm, I'm really fortunate to live in the country. Mm. So I have massive amounts of countryside yes. around me. Um, just seeing the trees and listening to the wind and the birds there's something about it that lifts a lot of that pressure inside my head. And as I'm doing that, the longer I walk, the better I feel. And I I actually feel it in my body. Mm. The first five minutes of a walk, I'm very, very tense. Mm-hmm. I'm very, very pent up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can feel myself on the edge of this kind of cliff and it could go one or two ways. But the more I walk, the more I feel myself start to loosen up and the more I feel myself start to... <laughs> come back down to reality a bit yeah. more it's incredibly powerful um and uh, I'm, I'm not surprised that you know studies say that one of the best things you can do for your mental health is walking i remember things that i can relate to that um covid i know it's a terrible time for everyone but mm. i actually actually had a great time i was pregnant i was at home with my family all the time we were in our own unit we w- did walks and all that all the time and i really yeah. enjoyed that i felt like we ate outside more we we did everything outside because we didn't want to be cooped up yeah. um so there was some great that came out of that i also can relate so if i'm the same thing i'll go for a walk by take my dog okay. now interestingly on that first five minutes she is very she's all very alert mm. Her, the, she's pulling on on the lead and she's very yeah very like me yeah. and then once i relax yeah i can barely feel she's there because yeah. she's it's so light like she relaxes the whole thing so she can obviously feel it through me so i can relate to that but there's also a lot of um a podcast i've listened to and research of, of different things about it in the sense that we weren't born in square boxes Mm. we weren't born in what we've created we were born outside we um and a lot if you go back to um a lot of tribes that still live with bare feet and don't have a dentist and they don't sleep in beds that we've made that are more comfortable if you actually look at them they are 
happier less stressed don't yeah. have any dental problems don't you know 94 year olds still sat in a squat yeah. like making stuff because they can move better we've created what we were trying to make our lives better mm. but it's actually probably had impact because yeah. we weren't designed no to sleep on beds at a certain level on a mattress we weren't designed to not be outside and yeah it's interesting because a lot of people say you know the best thing to do is just take your shoes off and stand on grass because yeah. there's energy through the ground so yes i think simple walking is really is there anything else further that you've done like i've done a lot of reading and podcasts and i feel like knowledge is power if i know more then i can adapt and put things into my life that work what other areas have you so music for me really helps okay and interestingly um very recently in the last 12 months have i realized that music and walking for me is kind of like a a fantastic combination Mm. um if i listen to certain types of music yep. that I can relate back to when I was younger. Um, and it kind of gives me that nostalgic feeling. Aww. It can really help bring me back and really help calm me down. I am going to ask you what these songs are now. It's kind of like punk rock. Okay. So All Big right. One Eight Two. Nice. Um, Rise Against. Yeah. Sun 41, that kind of thing. Um, Limp Biscuit. Yeah, that kind of okay. stuff. All that sort of stuff from, from, from when I was younger that um, kind of takes me back. And I don't know if it's the nostalgic feeling or something about that music, something about that bit kind of, of music. It's kind of a little bit rebellious as well, isn't it? Yeah. In the sense that they didn't care, like they, they give the personas that they didn't care. Yeah, and... exactly. Um, that's very true. But I've gone off and I've found new artists that I've never heard of before, and songs I've never heard before. Yeah. And that music does it for me too. So it's definitely the genre. For me, it's that genre of music. So mine's it like um, like big movie soundtracks. Yeah. So yeah, like Gladiator, yeah. that soundtrack can get me off. Like anything that's quite like um, bigger than me. Yeah. Does that sound really yeah, weird? No. So no. I really like to go on Google Maps and zoom out of out of the earth yeah because you know when you've got like a problem about like oh i've got to pay a bill or something like that Mm. or i've not ordered this present that needs to be at someone's or something really that's what because i'll stress about things like well i've not sorted my kids fancy dress outfit for whatever whatever and like i'm really panicking about it yeah i have to like if i can't go out for a walk or the timing's right or if i'm at like at work i'll go on google earth and zoom out okay because that makes me realize like how like i'm not a like I'm not I'm not that important. That's really cool. And that deal's That's not really cool. that that problem's not that yeah. really that big a thing. Yeah. Um and I also listened to a podcast this week with um I, I'm obsessed with the diary of the CEO, by the way. Um and he was talking on there and one of the guys on there was they were asking about death and whether he was scared and stuff yeah. like that and he was like no, I'm not scared of dying. Like I think about it every single day and he was like, "Oh, what do you mean like that?" And he was like, "Well, if I wake up every day thinking this could be it, mm-hmm. that makes whatever I'm worried about really insignificant." So yeah. it's like a different people use yeah. that in different ways. Yeah. But like I like to, if I can go out and the, I think with the walking thing, I can look at a tree or look outside and be like, oh, that tree has been here for hundreds of years mm. or like, or you watch nature change or, yeah. and maybe that's why we like watching things like David Attenborough. Yeah, quite Because when he's like in the yeah. big sea, like it makes you feel really, really little, yeah, doesn't it? it I does, quite yeah. like feeling little. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. There's a lot of truth in that. Um that's the Google Maps trick is interesting. I'm going to try that. Yeah, just with I'm on my computer yeah. and I feel like I'm panicking about something yeah. and I can't go out for a walk or in a meeting or something or whatever, I'll just put it up and then just click it and zoom further and further and further and further out and something about it makes me realise that. Okay. And then I look around the office and be like, 
that I'm one tiny little person. Like, <laughs> that's really um, cool. But yeah, the guy that used it was because he was a multimillionaire and he was saying that he was realizing how arrogant he was getting. Yeah. And he was a way to make him be more human. He yeah. was zooming out and was like, I mean nothing. He said something really interesting uh, um, on Twitter. He said, it's been six months since the queen has died. How many of you are already not talking about her? Mm. And by two years time, how many of you are not going to be talking about her? In 10 years time, how many people remember? In 50 years time, most people won't even know who she was. And yeah. she was the longest reigning yeah. female, had the biggest influence and she's forgotten. Yeah. So it's like we we are will be forgotten. So whatever you're worried about, or whatever you said to someone at a dinner party, or whatever, is and I I quite like that. And he, his version of making himself realize that. Yeah. Yeah. If if, you, if your brain's in the, in the space where it can it can look at that in that perspective, and it, it, mm. it can look at that for what it is and understand that, then I can imagine that being really powerful. Uh, I think for me, half of the challenge is getting my head in a place where it can accept that and it can see yeah. the bigger picture. And yeah. I think that's the real, that's the real uh, battle, that's the real fight. But it, it's really interesting that you said a moment ago about your superpower. Mm. Because my ability to overanalyze and overthink, I think is also why I ended up in the security uh, profession. I was going to say this, like I feel like that's your superpower. Well, I think it is in a way. Yeah. And I've got to be really careful because it's a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. um, being able to proactively look for problems mm -hmm. and being able to hone in on them and understand, okay, this is an issue, we, we need to focus on this is great. But you can't do that with every single problem you have or, for me, you approach yeah. burnout. And in security, you need to prioritise. You, yeah. you need to be able to see, okay, you might have this huge raft of vulnerabilities or all of these issues at your organisation. But which of these do you look at first? And if you overthink each individual one, you're never going to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. you've, you've got to take a step back and think about that. And I think my my, my role has actually helped me in in how, in um, being healthier and being able to see things in perspective because I wouldn't be able to do my job if I overthought every single issue that we had. Okay. And over the over the years that I've been in in security in the industry and I've been working in cyber, I've I've learned the hard way by burning out and I've I've had to adjust. Um, and I now I can now look at these issues, understand them um, with this critical eye, with this ability to identify them. That is my superpower. Yeah. And then I have to uh, take a step back, think about them in context, think about the priority and then think about, you know, let's be pragmatic about this, how we look at it. And by forging away at that at that thought process in my head. Mm. I found myself applying those things too to my personal life. So weirdly, I've been very fortunate in this. I've been able to find a way that they can complement each other. But my superpower is is definitely also my weakness, um, <laughs> which is interesting. And and it's it's something that I wish I knew when I was younger. Because when I was a teenager before university, I would go for walks and I'd listen to music, and I didn't realise why I did that until the last two three years. Um, and I think it's because when I was a teenager, that's how I calmed down. That's mm. how I, that was my happy space. That's what I did to feel good. Yeah. Um, and now as an adult, you know, with responsibilities, with a career, with all these things going on, I'm finding I'm revisiting that. But I wish I knew that earlier. I wish I had understood that I did those things earlier because then I could have used that superpower earlier on and I could have... And I could have avoided a lot of quite messy situations. Yeah. So the reason uh, we're looking into this is there's so there's some stats that I'm going to reel off. Okay. But 
According to WHO, suicide in men is twice as high compared to a female's, with 12.6 within every 100,000 individuals. So if you think about that, that's a lot of people. But also, our industry is male-dominated. I've also did the really scary fact that 65% are looking to leave, and then if we're thinking about the suicide rate being quite high. Also, generally, like you said, you like to work in quiet places. Mm. You like to probably, some of the work you do is probably in isolation, or, I mean, you may have a team around you, but um, if I'm generalising here, I mean, our tech team, they like to go off, they like time on their own. Most of them prefer working from home. They like their routine and their screens and their how many screens or whatever and their remit. Um, where from my marketing department, which I come from, we're very collaborative. We want to be in each other's yeah. spaces. Yeah. I'm sitting on someone's desk. They're sitting on someone's desk. We're yeah. putting a post-it note. Then we're going, oh my God, I've got this good idea. Like we're that and that's yeah. the way we are and we eat lunch together and we share each other's lunch and stuff like that that's how we vibe because mm-hmm. you have to be creative because if we worked all in isolation then someone would have done a picture here and a website there and nothing would really work course, right yeah. Yeah. so that's how we like to work as people and also we're i find my team if anyone goes off and does a project on their own the rest of us are like peering over the <laughs> corner like what, what, yeah. what are you doing yeah. over there yeah. so you know that's the way ours where i feel like the tech team polar opposite they quite like being separate and we'll come together at a serious point and then move away yeah how i guess a lot of the things we're saying is walking talking community team support how do you think as an industry we can support obviously there's a lot of men we're hoping you know women are coming into the industry but how can we support men how can we see triggers how can we yeah help people with burnout if this is happening and also you found your superpower but not many people can look at notification and just be like that one's not important and put it aside they might absorb that you've said you've learned and you've taken those good things at home i've learned spoken to people that have all this notification and all this and they take that problem at home and they push it out the other way so you've obviously learned a coping mechanism what do you think there's things that we can do that can hopefully swerve these statistics it's, it's a really difficult problem to solve. Um, it's it's very difficult to talk about this stuff. And when I when I mentioned before about getting that diagnosis mm-hmm. and I didn't progress with it, I think part of it was because I was scared to. I was Did you talk to anyone? Did you speak to any of your male friends? Of, or? No, no, I, no, I didn't speak to any of my friends or my family about it other than my partner at home. Interesting. Um, she knew and she was very supportive whether I wanted to do it or not. She, yeah. she understood whether it meant, you know, whether I would go for it or not and, and she would support me either way. Um but it's it's there is the whole kind of macho thing, right? There's 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 not wanting to admit that you're weak. There's not wanting to admit that you're struggling about something, mm. um, and and really that needs to be that needs to be checked and called out where where it's seen. Um, I've I've worked alongside colleagues that are brilliant. They're fantastic, but you can see that they're approaching their limit, and you can see that they are starting to starting to crack, and it can be really difficult to pull them to one side and say, you know, are you are you doing all right? Because Sometimes they can see that as like you questioning their their being, their yeah, masculinity. Yeah, like are you doing your job all right? Or yeah, like that. And and it's not that at all. And I think I think I can relate to this in my postnatal. I remember my husband coming home, making some comment about cleaning yeah. or f- food or dinner not being done. Yeah, and I took that as a personal attack that I wasn't being yeah. a good housewife slash mother, mm. and that usually used to be our house. Mm. He'd come in and be mm. like, can I put a load of washing on for you? And it would be like, well, what are you trying to say? 
Yeah. Well, I can't do it. Oh, I see. So, yeah. and it used to be things like that. So yeah. I can relate from being the we- yeah. woman side of it because I think there are some sort of gender yeah. things that there's an, I made assumptions that, well, I'm the I'm at home. Yeah. I've got the baby. I should do this. So I can understand from a male counterpart if you're saying something that they yeah. feel is their role or yeah. is their identity. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think in in the workplace, empathy is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, if if we can drive towards a place where we normalise empathy, yeah, and people are more empathetic and, and they understand, even if they don't fully comprehend, even if they have an understanding of different ways different brains work and and different challenges people have um, and even though they can't do anything about that they just have an understanding a basic understanding that that different people may be affected at any point in time by different things from mm-hmm. them um, I think that goes a long way and if 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 we're able to empathize with our co-workers and and we're able to um, return that back the other way I think it can help bring down some of these um, barriers for, for men specifically talking about it um it's easier said than done it's, it's certainly not easy it's, it's 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 difficult and and having the environment in the workplace to do it is crucial the last thing we want is is for people to feel like they can't speak up because they will be penalized at work for it or, mm. or people will doubt what they're saying because that just pushes people closer towards the edge closer towards the edge of that cliff because they haven't got anyone to speak out they haven't, they haven't got anybody to speak to about this yeah um and it's a difficult problem. I think going outside and taking walks is all well and good, um, but we need the space to be able to do that. Mm. We need employers to um, to encourage that sort of thing. You know, walking meetings are actually fantastic. Um, they can be really beneficial, but at the same time, so can taking five ten minutes in between meetings. You just go for a walk. There's not necessarily a need to check Slack for five ten minutes in between meetings. Oh, amen to that. It it, it might be better to just go outside and. I don't know. My bad thing it's is like, um, mine's worse at home. Like, if I don't have something, it'll be like, oh, I'll scroll on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. why am I doing this? Yeah. Like, what am I doing? Like, I've got five minutes where I could just sit or go yeah. sit in the garden, but I can't. Like, yeah. I have to scroll. But yeah, no, we do, don't we? We all default. Like, yeah. even when you arrived and I was like, oh, I'm just going to go for a break. I didn't end up doing that. I ended up doing like four emails and responding to something to yeah. live set. Like, it's just. Yeah, the way it is, like, and it is like you said, having empathy, and this is another subject because I did another podcast boundaries. Mm-hmm. It's having boundaries yeah. with yourself. Yeah. Like, I didn't take a lunch break today. Should have done. Should have set boundaries. Yeah. But I let people ram my diary in yeah. because there's a bit of me that's really driven by productivity. Yeah. But it's setting clear boundaries. It's, it's yeah, saying you know that is my hour lunch break. No, I am finishing at five thirty, but or being happy with whatever boundaries you set so you know um culturally here we're very driven we're very fast-paced everyone's on the go and everyone's got a first thing and i think we're quite open with that in an interview process but also we're open with that because if your boundaries aren't that like if your room it's not like that if you don't want the random six o'clock like oh this is a great idea yeah. um fancy if i want to have a look at this we'll, we'll talk about it first thing in the morning but just wanted to ping that to you because yeah. that's kind of what our culture is it's yeah. not like we expect you to work but i've just seen this this could be a really cool thing tomorrow and you ping it out yeah. you know it's kind of that and we small talk all the time because yeah. we're like quite close knit but if that isn't your boundary set it's having that expectations and saying well okay that's probably not a good culture fit for me yeah of where you go to work, whether yeah. that is cybersecurity. And I was talking about this earlier with the SOC analyst and she was saying that she thrives on the notifications. Right, she thrives okay. on it. Like okay. 
she loves it when it comes in she loves trying to prioritize it she's early doors in she's like six seven months in but she said she's thriving on it um but she's like once i don't thrive on it then i need to think about why i'm not why has that changed and you know is it the notification you know fatigue and i've seen a lot of support groups being built on linkedin for this but so i guess there's a bit of expectation of what your job is and then also if that expectation's changed or like the overloads become too much when do we start talking about it and you know i don't know i don't know what your thoughts are on that you've got to slow down before you can speed up right and and i think by organizations taking uh you know one step backwards and thinking what are our boundaries what's the expectation Mm what working environment do we want to create by having that conversation and by by consciously having that conversation um you can start to get staff working in a better place and and when staff are working in a better place they're going to be healthier they're going to be more productive they're going to be more collaborative but i don't think you can get to that place without stepping backwards first okay i i I think you need i think organizations need to slow down and think right what is it we want our staff to do? How are we going to facilitate them doing that in in the healthiest, most efficient way. way possible? And that doesn't that doesn't mean um, free ping pong tables. That doesn't mean having free tea and coffees. That means what it means for your staff. And, mm. and I think every organisation is different. Every way of working is different. And every person's different. Every person's so different. So we've got we do offer free tea and coffee, um, but I don't drink it. Okay. And orders um, a couple of the other guys yeah. in the team, so yeah. that perk isn't a perk for me. Um, so Everybody's like different. everyone's different. Everybody's so different. We, the new one we've brought in is monthly massage. Yes, because that is a perk for me. <laughs> um, because I would go and have a ma- or recce, um, no. so they can have that. So that comes yeah. in once a month, and yeah. you can have a half an hour slot. Um, and we have like pool, and we have golf, and we have the peloton bikes, and we yeah. have a gym, and because I, that was the one thing when you started to try to build a culture in a company everyone's got different things that are a perk to them yeah absolutely and it's interesting a couple of years ago i was working at an organization and we had a staff away day mm. at a, uh, a golf course and um, it was a great day there were lots of um, you know staff away day type activities yeah. and halfway through the day there was lunch and after lunch you had an hour to do what you wanted and there was um uh, you could use the driving range mm-hmm you could um, have a massage, you could go and play with Lego, or you could just go for a walk. And there was something there for everyone. Everyone. People that preferred the peace and quiet and just wanted to get into nature could do that. People that wanted to get together and uh, play football could do that. And that was a great example in my recent, well, relatively recent memory of... Um, a good company. Uh, well, uh, well, a company that acknowledged that people are different and yeah. what works for one person will work for another. Um, and giving people that flexibility, giving people that freedom um, can help hugely in, in the mental health space. So with mental health as a topic and within our industry, do you think it's a failing of the individual or the industry? Because it's constantly re- like reminding us of challenges we face or is it the responsibility of us because we've gone into the industry? Or do you think it's neither or? That's a really difficult question. Mm. I I think it's hard to say it's a failing of the individual because by its very nature, um, you might not understand what it is that's going on in your head. Okay. I certainly didn't when I started yeah. having my first few panic attacks at university. Yeah. Um, it's not the individual's fault. Is it the organisation's fault? Potentially. They've got a duty of care. Mm. Um, but 
is the organization just reflecting what society's views and opinions are at that time? I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I think everybody's got a responsibility. But because it's your own personal health, it's difficult to place any blame on the individual. Um, I think it's I think it's wrapped up in in what the organization is, is and isn't doing to support individuals, um, the space that they are providing to individuals to explore their health, um, and society's views of, of these sorts of, sorts of topics. Individuals should be allowed to go off and have, you know, get diagnoses and have conversations with their co-workers and talk about these things. And if they're not, if they don't feel like they're in a working environment where they can do that, mm. well, then the organization should think about that and think yeah. about why. So it's a very difficult question, and I'm not sure I've got a concrete answer for you. No, and I might be a little bit controversial. So if we were thinking about it from a physical health point of view, right, Mm -hmm. and you go to the doctor and you've got an illness and they say, if you um, lost, ate better, Mm. if you did more exercise, it will alleviate 50% of it and then the rest we can put you on medication. This is where I was going to say on an individual point of view, there was some work I had to do. Yeah. Like even, yeah. um, so it was before I started Quarter Cloud, but if I had come to Quarter Cloud in the state that I was in, even yeah. though how open the culture we are, yeah. um, I don't think they would have been able to meet me halfway, but I don't know if they could have got me the rest of the way because I had to realise what that what I needed, that I needed the exercise, that I needed to walk. Like work was a big part of me coming back to work because I needed that identity piece back. But I had to do. I had. I had to do fifty percent, and then I needed the right culture and the right company and that empathy for the for all the rest of it to work. Yeah. Um. So I guess just doing yeah, flipping the coin on the other side yeah, of it. Yeah. I feel like there is some things that we can, if we are, um, not looking after ourselves. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying you have to be perfect and not have a takeaway or whatever. No, but if we're not like look, doing a little bit to help ourselves. Um, or make us feel good, yep. then it's quite hard for an organisation then to do the, the, the next bit. I would agree. Yeah, I think you're right. We do have a responsibility to ourselves yeah. to to understand what it is that's going on um, and, and to to try and try and find ways forward. By its nature, you know, anxiety, depression, things like that, they they affect your ability to do that mm, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, it's a circle isn't it it's, it's a vicious cycle and, mm. and you're in this kind of pit of despair and it's difficult to claw your way out and if an organisation or, or your colleagues or your friends aren't there to kind of almost put a hand into this into this pit and to extend this hand and to try and pull you out of it um, and to give you that assistance then it's it's an uphill battle and you're going to yeah. really struggle so you've got to have the environment around you to to get better or, or to um to take matters into your own hands, to you know, to drive yourself forward. If you don't have that environment, it's 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 very very difficult. Mm. So it's a uh, you're you're right to you're right to say it, and, and you're right it's to bring it up. It's a chicken and egg thing. It's very much a chicken and egg thing. Yeah, it is a chicken and egg thing. Interesting. Um, yeah, no, you're right. Because if you're there, like if you're in the spiral, it's hard mm. to get. And I think me and you have similar. We have both strong partners. Yes. So if I didn't have that partner network. Would I have got myself out of this spiral? That's yeah. a very interesting question. Yeah, absolutely. Would I have got myself out of this spiral? Would I have sent my e- the email to James to get this job? Probably not. Well, lots of people don't. And lots of people, people that are listening to this podcast might be in that spiral. Um, and yeah. and they may not have that network around them. They may not have an organisation that um, puts their health first. And they may be facing quite dark times. Um, 
and I am not surprised at the statistics you read out before because I I I think there are lots of people that are suffering, um, and it's a it's a big problem. Do you, you think before. we can turn it round? I think we can. I don't think it's easy. I don't think it's simple or straightforward. And as we said before, no two people are the same. People are different. No. There's no one size fits all approach. Um, and mental health conditions, you can't see them. No. You, you can't see a sling around someone's arm. You can't see a broken leg. So you might be working in the same office as somebody that's struggling and suffering and you might not see it, yeah. which makes it difficult to tackle. I think we can turn it around. Um, but we need to be willing and want to. And um, it, it needs to start somewhere. Um, unfortunately, it's difficult for it to start with the person that's suffering. And that's the catch-22. I think, Frank, that's a lovely way to end. Okay. I think we could probably keep talking forever. <laughs> but maybe there, could be, maybe there could be a podcast version two once oh, we absolutely. spin it to everyone. Also, we are deploying our own research paper okay. um, into our, um, our database. Okay. Um, which will be released during this podcast period uh, to get people on their opinions and to get more stats because I feel like it comes from um, a lot of Gartner reports and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we wanted to do something a little bit more localised. Yeah. So maybe there could be something when we get the stats back, you could bring you back and see Love whether to. you could, what your opinions are, where we could do that. But thank you very much for joining You're us. You're most welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me.